Hey, good morning. How you doing? Doing good? Man, I'm doing fabulous. Pulled onto the property 845 this morning or so. Saw that great big huge bright moon right over there sinking down beneath those pine trees. Came inside and standing here and Keith Randall came running up to me and said, Hey, do you want to see a bull moose? I'm like, yeah, I do. He said, there's one standing right out there. I said, where? He, says, he said, look. So he opened that door. I ran out there like this, like an idiot, ran across the parking lot, and there stood this bull moose. And I'm pretty excited because I've never seen a bull moose before. I mean, I've seen a moose twice, but not, you know, with, are they horns, antlers, bones? What are those? What are they? Are they antlers? Yeah. So there he was out there underneath the, uh, on the, uh, underneath the swing set, standing there. So I get this bright idea. I'm going to do Facebook Live. I pull out my phone, and because all my buddies and friends back in the lower 48, they've never seen a bull moose, you know. You guys, this is old hat, I know. But So I got this thing going, and I'm doing this thing, and I'm like, what if he charges me? So I don't know. But anyhow, so all, I'm just saying, I was pretty excited about all that. So I just, I got that out, so now I can get ready to preach. So anyhow, you, huh? Did I shoot it? Oh, 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 oh. So I, I did shoot it with my iPhone. And it didn't feel a thing. So anyhow, yeah, it's, I, I'm just, you'll get a, kind of accustomed to the weirdness of myself. So anyhow, I just had to get that out. By the way, I ought to, ought to recap the um, all-church assessment that's going to uh, be taking place here Saturday and a week from today. There are really four, four parts to that, and I, 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 we really do need your help because the more people that participate in giving us data, the better picture we'll have of the health of the church. And so right now out there on the table, there are two different, two different written surveys that we would like to ask you to, to take home and fill them out. And if you haven't done so already, and then next week, bring them back with you. There will be some questions on those written surveys. You'll, you'll read and you'll be like, what? What does that mean? If you don't have a foggy clue, just skip it and go down to the next question. It'll, it'll be all right. Uh, your name isn't going to go on these forms and you're not being graded or anything like that, but please just do the best you can. So that's two, two surveys, two parts. Uh, the third part is that we're asking uh, you to be part of a face-to-face -face survey if you will do that. We need 40 people to do that. And that just means that uh, there's a, there are sign-up sheets out there on the table, and there are four different sign-up sheets, and each sheet represents a different room. And in 20-minute increments, we just want to have you show up at the time you sign up to show up and come into the room, and we'll just ask you questions about the church. And you don't have to prepare. You don't have to write anything. Just show up. And the questions might be, why did you come to this church to begin with? 
Um, what keeps you coming here? How far do you drive to the church? Things like that. So if you haven't signed up to be part of that, I encourage you to do that. We'd, we'd appreciate your help. So that's the third part. There's a fourth part, and I didn't even talk about it last week, but I did send out an email, I think just yesterday, to various folk uh, of you in the congregation asking you to be part of yet another written survey. We need 30 people to be part of that, and this survey is at the heart of what we do. And we will, we will have everybody gather in a room after the second service next week that got a, uh, a request from me, and I'm, I'm asking that you uh, just simply reply to that. Yes, you can be part of it. No, you can't. So we can plan accordingly. And if you got my email, uh, don't blow it off. Appreciate a, re a reply from you. So all right. So it's been an exciting morning for me. I saw the moon, saw the bull moose. Uh, and then when I walked in, I saw Pastor Brent. And of course, you recognize this is the first time I've ever seen him. And it's kind of weird for me because the, the name of my son-in-law is Brent. So that's the first thing it reason why it's weird. The second reason why it's weird is that uh, my son-in-law, Brent, was on staff with me at a couple of churches. So he's Pastor Brent. So that's weird. And so then when I walk in and see him, I'm like, this is really, really weird because he looks like my son-in-law. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is weird. Except he, he's, he's a little bit better looking than my son-in-law. Now, my, my son-in-law, Brent, is weird on so many levels. We don't have enough time to talk about how weird my son-in-law is. Uh, but I want to tell you about one way that he is really strange. He's really weird because he loves things that have cold blood running in their veins. He likes reptiles. And so uh, at one point in his life, his whole house was filled with aquariums and reptiles. And just, I, I think one time I counted like between the red-tailed boa and the corn snake and the boa constrictor and uh, all of these weird kind of lizard things. And uh, he had some lizards that had given birth there were like 40 reptiles in his house. I know it's weird, right? I mean, like, I didn't even want to go there. But the centerpiece of his weird reptile collection was a lizard um, that is called a savanna monitor. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, they can grow to be really big, kind of like goldfish, you know, if they're having a big thing, they'll grow big. But this was a, in a big aquarium, it was about this big or so. And uh, it was really, it was, he was this scary little monster. And one night, uh, it, was a, it was a warm summer's night. And there had been a, 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 a gentle drizzle, like all evening long. And my son-in-law, Brent, got the bright idea of going out with a flashlight looking for free lizard food. And so he went out with a jar and he shined his light around and, 
and he caught a whole bunch of frogs about this big. And he came back, he brought them back in, and it was feeding time. He'd drop them in and choop, like that. And so he got to the big tank where the Savannah Monitor is. Uh, by the way, I just remembered. I didn't remember this in the first service. His name was Mel. <laughs> I don't know why, but Mel. And so there's Mel, this big, in this huge tank. And so Brent takes uh, a frog out of the jar and drops it in. And so before he drops the frog in, you know, the Savannah Monitor's doing this. So he drops the frog in, all of a sudden the Savannah Monitor does this. Bam! Frog didn't have a chance. Dropped another one in. Bam! Didn't have a chance. Took the last one and dropped it in, and that Savannah Monitor went. Bam! Frog didn't have a chance. And I swear he turned and looked at me and smiled. But then when he turned, he opened his mouth and the frog jumped right out. <laughs> I'm like, that'll teach you. Every time I, I remember that story, I think of Jonah chapter 2. And you'll remember what happens in that chapter, I think. But before we get to that, let me just remind you about last week when we were talking about Jonah chapter 1, and in that chapter last week, I said that Jonah is running from God, and we're going to see now that Jonah in chapter 2 is not running from God, but he's running to God, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But when we left Jonah last week, there towards the end of chapter 1, there is Jonah sinking like a rock to the very bottom of the ocean. I want to stop right there and ask you a question. Have you ever felt like Jonah? I mean, like you were in over your head? Like you were going down for the count? Like you didn't know what you were going to do? You were starting to lose hope? That's the story of Jonah there in chapter 1. And the truth of the matter is, if the story would have ended at Jonah chapter 1, just read that, we'd be like, ooh, that's a terrible story. <laughs> There's a story that has no happy ending. But now, verse 17 in Jonah chapter 1. And by the way, let me just say, let me just tell you this little teaching thing that that. Chapter, I beg your pardon, verse 17 in the ancient Jewish Hebrew Bible is really the first verse of chapter 2. That means that the ancient rabbis recognized that verse 17 is a pivotal transitional verse or a hinge verse that catapults you from, verse one, from chapter 1 to chapter 2. And so let, let, me, read, let me read this verse. But the Lord provided, I'll stop right there. Do you recognize that phrase? In chapter 1, the Lord provided a storm. We talked about that last week. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. 
Let's take a moment and just kind of very quickly recap what's going on in chapter 1 in case you weren't here uh, last week or in case you're like me and you have a short memory span. So chapter 1, here God has called Jonah. And he said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And if you'll remember, I said that last week Nineveh is this place filled with very evil, evil people, the sworn enemies of the Israelites. In fact, uh, I paraphrase one little phrase there in chapter 1 and it, where it says that, that they stunk to high heaven. You know, their smell rose up to God, and it wasn't a pleasant smell. So God has called Jonah to go to these people and to let them know that there is a God that loves them, but we saw that Jonah decided to run the opposite direction. Jonah actually gets on a boat and heads as he plans to go as far away in the opposite direction in the known world as he possibly can go. So he's on this boat and he falls asleep. And then in chapter one, the Lord provided a storm. God sent this storm. And all of a sudden, this boat is bouncing up and down in the water. And even these professional sailors, they're terrified. They don't know what to do. And so they, they wake Jonah up and they say, hey, baby, you prophet of God, baby, you ought to pray. He's like, no. So the pagan, the pagan sailors, these sailors that don't even worship God, they start to pray. They start to throw things overboard. And then they talk with Jonah, and they figure out that, hey, it's Jonah's the problem. And so reluctantly, they throw Jonah overboard, and when they throw him overboard, the storm subsides. And the lives of the sailors are saved, and Jonah is glub, 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 on his way down to the bottom of the ocean. That's where we left the story last week. But now verse 17 that I just read, and that phrase, but the Lord provided. Now let's stop for a minute and just recognize that the phrase, but the Lord provided, is really the theme of the entire Bible. I love that phrase. I mean, think, think of all of the times when you read in the, in the Bible that the Lord provided. I mean, just go all the way back to the book of Exodus, and you you'll remember the story of how the Israelites were set free and they were, they were a million strong, some Bible scholars say. A million Israelites. They're leaving, they're leaving the land of Egypt and, and they come up to the Red Sea and they're like, oh man, how are we going to get across the Red Sea? What shall we do? And then somebody turned around and looked behind them. And they saw this big cloud dust up in the air and all of a sudden, they recognize that it must be that Pharaoh has changed his mind. And he has sent his army out after them to kill them. And the dust is from the wheels of the chariots and the striking of the hooves of the horse upon the dry and dusty ground. And they're terrified. And they're all standing there looking at the army. They turn around and they look at the sea and they're like, we're all going to die. But the Lord provided. The Lord parted the Red Sea. And they walked through on dry ground 
with the, somehow the waters walled up on each side of them. And they got to the other side. And then when Pharaoh's army showed up on the scene, they're like, all right, we're going to get you guys and you're all going to die. And so they chase them and they get down there on the, on the bed of the Red Sea. And all of a sudden the walls cave in and they die. The Israelites are saved. But the Lord provided. You can think of a lot of examples of, of, of that. You can think of Abraham and Isaac, for example. Abraham takes his son Isaac, and he's got this idea that God wants him to sacrifice his son, and so they climb together up the mountain to the stone altar. And Isaac says to his dad, Abraham, where is the sacrifice? He's smart enough to know something's not right. And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. And sure enough, when they get close to the stone altar, there's a ram who is entrapped in the thicket. And the Lord provided there in that situation. Again, many, 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 many other stories. The theme of the Bible, that in desperate times, the Lord provides, that God provides, and God comes through. I think one of the most dramatic moments of that is at the very end of the book, in the book we call the Revelation. At the very end of that book, in I think chapter, I don't know, 20, 21, 22, something like that, when it's apparent that evil is winning the day. I mean, evil is just running rampant over the earth, taking over and destroying and just having... having a wonderful time. Evil is winning the day. Well, things are desperate in the book of Revelation at that point in the story. And it's like there's this scroll. And this scroll will show how to conquer evil and how to restore the, the created order. And so there's this scene that John is John the Revelator is given, this, this vision of this scroll. And it's like, if the scroll is opened, we'll be saved. We'll have all the instructions. We'll know what to do. And God can unleash this plan that's wrapped up in this scroll. But the scroll is sealed shut. And a voice says in this scene, who is worthy to open the scroll? And when you read the text, you should read it when you go home today. When you read the text, it's as if all of creation sucks in and holds their breath and goes, who is, who is worthy? Who, 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 can, who can open the scroll? And in a very dramatic fashion, as all of creation holds its breath, out from the shadows walks Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, and he is worthy. And he opens the scroll, and the created order is saved and restored, but the Lord provided. It's the theme, I'm saying, of the entire Bible. 
Now, we don't have to look in the Bible just to prove that God comes through in difficult times. Think about your life. Or maybe somebody you know. Your car engine blew up and you didn't have $2,000 to replace the car engine. What are you going to do? The Lord provided somehow, some way. Or maybe you, you have struggled in your marriage or maybe struggling right now and uh, maybe your spouse has said, you know what, I don't know if this is going to work and maybe they even mentioned the D word and it's like, what in the world? What are we going to do? But the Lord provided. Maybe you've got bad news from the doctor and you've been waiting for those tests and the tests came back and the doctor says, I need to see you in my office as soon as you can get here. And you hear that scary news and you're like, what am I going to do? But the Lord provided. Or maybe you have a job that you like but you hate your boss. And you don't know what in the world you're going to do. The boss is making your job terrible. But the Lord provided. He got transferred. Something happened. You see, God always comes through. And maybe even if we use a spiritual application to this, maybe in times past in your life, like Jonah, you've, you've rebelled against God. But the Lord has provided when you called out to him. That wonderful phrase is really a good working definition of a word that we say and use in the church quite often. It's, it's the word grace. The grace of God. The stuff that God gives us even though we don't deserve it. Now, you don't know me very well, but I'll just draw the curtain back just a tiny bit, and you can see what I'm like on the inside. If I'm God, and, Jonah, and I tell Jonah to do something, and he runs the opposite direction, and he gets thrown overboard, if I'm God, I'm saying, okay, you figure it out. <laughs> Learn how to swim, boy. You're on your own. You made your bed, you know, you, you figured it out. God's not like that. When Jonah cried out to God, God provided and God came through. And if you've been around the church for any length of time or you've, you've been in those difficult situations and cried out to God, you know the truth that God does come and God does help us in our situation and time of need. So here we are with Jonah and what Jonah thought was the worst thing ever, being thrown overboard and being there in the belly of the well, quickly became the best thing ever for him. You know, it, it, it's been said that the belly of a whale is not a good place to live, but it's a great place to learn. <laughs> and so here's Jonah now in chapter 2. Sometimes the, the worst thing ever in our lives can become the 
best thing ever. Sometimes when we're the lowest and we struggle the most in life, those are the times that God comes like he did to Jonah there in the belly of the whale. And we learn. And if we cry out to God, we we grow. And we become a better person than ever before. And I think about the personal application to that story. But I also think about the corporate application about you as a congregation. And and I'm guessing that when your pastor announced that he was going to be taking a different direction in his life, it was was very, very hard for you because the longer I'm here, the more I understand how deeply you loved and still love him. It's a hard thing to go through a pastoral change. But... I want to tell you, the Lord will provide. And God will bring the right person to lead you and to stand in this place and to bring the word to you. So if you're going through a tough time right now, here's the good news. The Lord will provide. God will come through. But there are a couple of lessons, I think, that the story teaches us about the Lord providing for Jonah that really apply to you and I when we get in over our head and and we need help. And I want to just just share those lessons with you. But before I do, I I ought to just take a few moments and just read the text. So let's let's look first at uh, Jonah 2, verses 1 through 6, the middle of verse 6, just real quick. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward the holy temple." Listen to this. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. And then this word picture, seaweed, was wrapped around my head. Sounds pretty desperate to me. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. And so here he is, sinking down beneath the sea, facing certain death. And he cries out to God, and God hears him even though he's been rebellious and even though there's seaweed wrapping around his head. It's an amazing picture. Now the rest of the chapter, beginning in the the middle of verse 6. Let's go to that uh, verse. Beginning there at the the middle of verse 6, we see uh, those words. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, 
will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And now this incredible verse. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Wow. There's another great word picture. Let, just, let me just share with you a couple of things, a couple of lessons that I, I see here in the story that might help you if you're in over your head or you're going through a difficult time. And the first is this, that God provided to Jonah when Jonah cried out to God with a changed heart. Somewhere from the time that he hits the water and starts sinking down and has seaweed wrapping around his head, he says, oh, maybe I should pray after all. You know? He's rebellious, but he ain't dumb. So there he is. And so he, he has a, a change of heart, and you read the story, and you can see that at, at some point in the story, I think after the, the well swallows him, it, he has a change of heart, and the, and the text says that really the, the rebel is, is gone. And that happened because last week, God meddled in his life. God sent the storm. God caused that to happen to get Jonah's attention. And so Jonah cries out to God, it's only because of the storm and those events that then followed rapidly after the storm hit, that Jonah came to his senses and had a change of heart. Maybe if you're down for the count, maybe if you're over your head, maybe you need to have a change of heart. And you need to get on your knees and ask God to help you and, and cry out to him. That's, that's the first lesson I see. The next one is this. It's that when you read the story, you come to recognize that God provided a way of escape in a way that Jonah never would have dreamed by becoming well puked. Isn't that pretty remarkable? And if Jonah was here today, we'd do a little interview, pass a microphone back and forth. I would say, Jonah, in your life, did you ever once, ever, at a single time, dream that someday you would want to become well vomit? We know what he would say. Nope, I, that never crossed my mind. But this, this was the plan that God had. For the well to save him from drowning and then become well puke out there on the shore. And I think that sometimes when we go through a difficult period in our life or we're facing things that we don't know how to handle or, or what in the world we're going to do, we, we sit there and we think about it and we're like, oh, I know what would, what would really help me. We come up with this plan, you know. I'm in financial distress, um, and so we pray, dear God, when I go and buy a lottery ticket, let it be a winning ticket. So we got this plan, and so this is how we pray. We, we're telling God how to fix it. 
And the truth of the matter is, if we were all that smart, we wouldn't be in the, in the mess that we find ourselves in anyhow. And so I think we need to recognize that God is at work in our lives when we call on him, but God may have a way of helping us that we, we didn't expect it to work out that way. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because God's smarter than you and me. God works in surprising ways. I don't know why we tell God how to fix the mess we got ourselves into. But we ought to be, when we're in over our head and we surrender our, ourselves to God and say, God, help me, whatever it is, if it's a relationship problem or a financial problem or a physical problem or a spiritual problem, we cry out to God. We ought to be looking to see where and how God is at work in our life. Not just looking for the the way we want God to do this miracle thing, you know. God does work in surprising ways, and we see, we see that so clearly here. Well, puke, who would have guessed? So that's, that's the other lesson that I see. And now this one last thought. And it's that in this story, God worked in stages, not all at once. So stage one, of course, is when God sent the whale to swallow Jonah. So now Jonah was, had, had some room to breathe in the belly of the whale there. But he's still a mess. I mean, if he don't, if he don't get out of the well, it's not going to work out well, in the end, uh, he's got a problem, right? He's got to get out of there somehow. <laughs> and so, so he's swallowed, stage one, and then God comes along and he's vomited up on the shore. That's stage two. God worked in stages. And, and I know how, how we are, at least I, I'm certain how I am, that when I get it in over my head, I pray, and I want God to help me all at once. Bam, help me. Okay, thank you. I don't think God usually works that way. And we see that evidence in this story. God is working in stages or, or in steps. And I've tried to figure out why is that? Why why does God work in stages or in steps? And I think the answer to that question is that, is that God wants to partner with us instead of just like, you know, sending us the winning lottery ticket, <laughs> you know. He partners with us, and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this. And then when we partner with God and say, okay, I'll do that, you take your first step. And God says, okay, now that you've done that, here's what I want you to do. And so you begin to walk in obedience, and step by step, God leads us out of the mess that we've gotten ourselves into. 
God can bring us out of our mess all at once because He's God. But more often than not, He brings us along step by step. And that means we need to walk in obedience with Him. So when we get in over our heads, we ought to remember this story, and we ought to, we ought to remember that, uh, that God responded to Jonah when there was a change of heart, that God responded in a way that was unlikely, we ought to look for that, and that God responded in a way that took steps, that God works in steps, and we grab a hold of that phrase, but the Lord will provide. And the Lord will provide for you. In the early 1900s, there was a young boy named Walt, 16 years old, in Kansas City, Missouri. And he was walking the streets of Kansas City, and it was a really, really cold winter's day. Back in the horse and buggy days, you know, before cars, really. And as he's crossing the street, he does what a lot of uh, young people do. If he sees something laying in the road, he kicks it. And I've done that many times. You go for a walk, and if I see a stone there, I kick it, just, to, just because, you know, to see how far it goes. And so he's crossing the street, and there's these chunks of ice there in the road. And he kicks the chunks of ice, and they scatter that way or this way. Oh, that one went really far. And as he crosses the street there, there's a rather big chunk of ice. And he puts his foot back and kicks it as hard as he can because it's a little bit bigger than the other ones. And all of a sudden, he recognizes that frozen into the side of this chunk of ice, sticking out the edge where he kicks it, is a horseshoe nail. And the nail runs right up his big toe. And he screams, and he, he can't move his foot from that chunk of ice because that nail is embedded right up in his toe and into his foot, and, and he screams. And there's somebody in a, uh, a cart and a, and a horse, horse cart, and it, it, he hears him, and the guy has an ax in the back of his cart. He stops, and he carefully chops the ice so that his foot is free, and they take him to the doctor. And the doctor says to him, you're a lucky, lucky young man. Your foot's probably going to be okay, but for two weeks you have to lay flat on your bed, flat in the bed, flat on your back. You can't move. Don't do anything. Now that's tough for a 16-year-old. It's like, so what's he going to do uh, for two weeks? Remember, no Facebook. No iPhone. Nothing like that. What are you going to do? So he, he uh, asks for uh, some paper and some drawing materials, and he's like, yeah, I kind of like to draw. And so he laid there for two weeks drawing. And he started to draw these figures, and people are starting to tell him, wow, hey, that's really good. Man, look at what you can do. Yep. And it was there in that bed that Walt Disney figured out what he wanted to do with his life. The worst thing ever for him at that point became the best thing ever and got him pointed in the right direction for his life. 
The challenges that you face right now, or maybe you've faced in the past, I'm here to tell you that the worst thing in your life can become the best thing ever if you cry out to God and let God take you on a journey and lead you from being in over your head to standing tall and looking back and seeing the path that God has led you on. Let's stand together. And I, I just want to pray for you before we continue the service. Let's stand and praise team will be coming. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for this wonderful group of people. And for the fact that we know that you are at work in the lives of everybody here today. I pray for those that are here this morning that might just feel like they're ready to give up. Like they're about ready to lose hope. Like they don't know where to go, who to turn to. That, you know, is, is it even worth going forward? I pray for them today. And I ask, Father, that you would help them to cry out to you. Come to them in their hour of need. Help them to look for you interacting in their lives in unexpected ways. And I pray that you would take them on a journey, a journey of recovery and a journey of wholeness. Father, I pray for this church that is going through some difficult days as they wrestle with this idea of their pastor going a different direction and now they're looking for their next pastor. Father, we draw comfort in the knowledge that you will provide for this congregation. Thank you for that knowledge today, Father. Be with us now in the closing moments of this service. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.